0: phillies nation welcome to the phillies nation podcast i am tim malcolm the editorial director of philliesnation.com go there today for your phillies news rumors information and much more we are on facebook at facebook.com phillies nation we're on twitter at phillies nation and instagram at phillies nation underscore check out the podcast on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher spreaker tune in And YouTube.com slash PhilliesNation. It is the 20th podcast of the Phillies Nation podcast, so on the 10s we do some mailbag. I ask for reader questions about the Philadelphia Phillies, how things are going, a lot of questions about the future, so we will get to that in a little bit. Corey Sharp will come in to talk about first base and also later on Sixto Sanchez, who's now in Clearwater. We also, I'll talk maybe a second about uh, the big news of last week, which was the Pete Rose Wall of Fame, Uh, uh, I guess you call it, I guess you call it controversy, but uh, the Phillies did do the right thing at the end of the day. But the big story is what broke very late Sunday evening as we were actually sitting down to record this podcast, the news came across that Phillies legend Darren Dalton has died at age 55. Dalton was drafted by the Phillies in 1980, I believe in the 27th round or 25th round. He started with the Phillies in 1983, called up for a couple games at the end of the year, and then came back in 1985 and stayed with the Phillies for good basically from that point on. Battled a lot of injuries early in his career, had a lot of knee problems toward the later end of his career, and was on the bench for a lot of those first couple years uh, as the backup catcher for the team, not very good offensively, but had a very good defensive profile at the catcher position. And then as he got into his late 20s and early 30s, the offense really picked up. Had some amazing seasons for the Phillies, I should say. Starting in 1992, 27 home runs, 109 RBI, which led the National League. A two seventy average, three eighty-five OBP, and five twenty-four slug. From that point on, he was a very good offensive player. Three time All Star, 1992, 93, and 95. He was top 10 in MVP voting twice. Silver Slugger in 92 as well. And in 1993, of course, he was the man who helped lead that Phillies team to the World Series. In fact, he was, by all accounts, the leader of that team. Most teammates, anybody that you ask who was around that team, will tell you that Dalton was the bona fide leader of that squad. He'd been around the organization for a number of years by that point and helped a lot of guys who were from different parts of the country and were very rowdy and very fun to be around, got them to a place where they could be themselves, have a great time together, but also play really down-and-dirty baseball and do it in a way that was ultimately extremely successful. That 93 team, in a way, epitomized Darren Dalton and how he kind of played the game of baseball. It wasn't always pretty. Uh, Dalton, of course, very good-looking guy. The one thing that I recall from my youth is how many women that I knew in my life loved Darren Dalton. He was the best-looking guy the Phillies had employed at that time and one of the really best-looking baseball players you could ever have. Um... In his prime, he was someone that everybody loved. Um, but he played not the prettiest game. You know, he was he was very tenacious. He was very good at the batter's box. Took a lot of pitches. Never backed down. And when he hit home runs, not necessarily the most powerful home run hitter, but not a cheapie. You know, he he hit some good home runs. He definitely hit some good home runs. Hit a lot of doubles was very good at lining balls into the gap. You know, he wasn't the most agile and fleet of foot player, and he certainly had a lot of injuries, and that curtailed him a bit in his veteran years, but he never stopped, man. He never stopped. He was a hard-working, big-effort kind of player, and his mouth was the first thing that you heard because he was the leader of those teams, but his play really backed up what he said. Definitely one of the great leaders in Philadelphia Phillies history. And for a team in 93 that had a lot of wacky guys who loved to have a good time and stay really late and drink beer and watch watch tape, Dalton was there every night, ice in his knees, being a part of that camaraderie, steering those guys into the right direction. And helming a pitching staff, by the way, that was very, very good in 93. The five guys who were on that staff, Kurt Schilling, Terry Mulholland, Tommy Green, Ben Rivera, and Danny Jackson, they all had very good seasons in 93, and Dalton worked with each of them at a very, very high level. That bullpen was very good, too. He was was the rock. Dalton was the rock of that club. Good offensive player at his prime. Very good offensive player at his prime. But really, Dalton will be known for the leadership that he demonstrated on the field off the field had some issues here and there. Had had battles with alcohol, had battles in his life, but who doesn't? And he has always tried to be a guy who comes back and gives back to the community and atones for what he's done. He established a Darren Dalton Foundation, which when he was diagnosed with cancer in 2003, excuse me, 2013, was all about helping people who didn't have the means to support themselves in their cancer fights he gave money uh, gave support to people whose families needed that support people who couldn't pay for their medical expenses the Darren Dalton Foundation was there held events fundraisers to ensure that people who were fighting brain cancer had the opportunity to get the treatment they needed and that overall that speaks to the kind of guy he was a giving guy Someone who really cared about the community, cared about the Philadelphia community, part of the baseball community, after his retirement, came back to Philly and hosted on, uh, why well, I should say he was an analyst on Comcast Sportsnet. Then he hosted a radio show on The Fanatic, talking Dutch. My buddy uh, Pat Gallen was part of that show for a while and of course has fond memories of working with Darren. Dutch was great. He was he was interesting guy. You know, I think there were there were a lot of stories about what he believed in at certain points. But the guy loved baseball. The guy loved Philadelphia. He loved if you were hanging out and you saw Dutch hanging out somewhere, he'd say hi. He'd toast you. He'd thank you for all the, you know, the, the plaudits. He, he was a good guy. Good baseball guy. And as a kid who grew up in love with that 93 team, that was my first love in baseball, that, that team that entire year was treasured to me and Dalton was a big part of that big part of it had a huge hit in game 6 of the 93 National League Championship Series a big big double against Greg Maddox that ultimately would be the catalyst for that team's big win in that game in that series had a home run in game 4 of the World Series a game in which I think all of us would want back a game that the Phillies probably should have won But then Dalton got his, 1997, was traded to the Florida Marlins in July, deadline deal, and he helped the Marlins win the World Series. In fact, he was the cleanup hitter in that deciding game seven against the Cleveland Indians, hit a home run in that World Series, had a very good World Series for for the Marlins, got the World Series ring that he long looked for and long deserved, and then he retired. That was it. Off into the sunset after winning the World Series. Couldn't go out in a better way. Jason Stark tweeting on Sunday night that he always thought that that was one of the best ways a guy could end his career. And Dalton did it the right way. Dalton did a lot of things the right way. Played baseball the right way. Helped in the community the right way. Was a part of the Philadelphia baseball community in the right way. And never shied from talking to people. Never shied from being a part of the baseball experience of Philadelphia. We're going to miss him dearly. He was a great ball player and a great guy. And I think all the Phillies nation is going to be mourning for quite a while a loss that really does hit hard. Darren Dalton, dead at the age of 55. Now the other news from last week that I don't want to talk about too much because now with the Darren Dalton news, this is kind of pushed a little bit more back. But I did want to bring up the Pete Rose Wall of Fame controversy. Rose was inducted into the Phillies Wall of Fame. He was to be honored this year by the Phillies and then it was rescinded because of allegations that came up uh, that were resurfaced. This was a testimony in court by an unidentified woman who said that Rose had a relationship with her when she was under the age of 16 which would qualify as statutory rape. Sexual relationship, I should say. Rose said that the woman was 16 at the time that's what he alleges this was testimony that had already been done but was brought back up in this lawsuit that Rose brought upon John Dowd who went on a radio show a while back in the Philadelphia area and claimed that Rose was having sexual relationship with women who were under the age of 16 again Rose admitted to having a relationship with a woman who was 16 years old at least the Phillies were going to honor Rose because he played an important role in the Phillies' 1980 World Championship and had a couple decent seasons with the Phillies in that time period. I understand that you want to honor someone for his play on the field, but Pete Rose is, and we had a piece on philliesnation.com last week by Mike Sadowski. Pete Rose is like playing with fire. You know what he's capable of with his transgression list. We know what he's done. We know what kind of baggage he brings. And the Phillies know that there's baggage there. Whether they knew anything about these allegations or not, I'm sure you could have found them because they were there already. These were only resurfaced in the past couple days. But you know that you're playing with fire when you have Pete Rose. And the Phillies deliberately put him on the ballot this year because Look, they wanted to have him honored. They wanted to have the fans come out. They wanted to sell out crowds. That's it. They didn't put him on the ballot in years before. They finally did this year because they wanted to honor him because they knew he would be voted in, and they would get a good weekend of sales out of it. Look, they would. Alumni Weekend is a great weekend. It's a great event. The Phillies do a great job with it. But there's a difference in honoring someone like Mike Lieberthal. No offense to him. Good player. I liked him. But there's a difference in honoring someone like Lieberthal, who's not necessarily a fan favorite, and Pete Rose, who has a lot of fans. Rose is going to bring in the tickets. Now that won't happen. Because of these allegations that were brought back up, and the Phillies would have looked absolutely terrible if they honored Rose. They would have sent a terrible message, especially to kids and families. What kind of message does it send a kid? when the Phillies say "Well, we're honoring this guy even though he may or may not have had a relationship with an underage teenager a girl who was maybe 15 or 14 according to the testimony and even if it wasn't true Rose still admitted to having a relationship with her when she was 16 he was married with kids a guy in his mid 30's married with kids having an affair with a 16 year old girl come on That's a bad message. It's a bad message. And I'm glad the Phillies got out in front of it. And look, a lot of guys have transgressions. We all do. Darren Dalton himself. Multiple DUIs. You have to weigh these things. You have to look at the whole body. And you have to wonder, what is best for us as a business? What is best for us as stewards of the community? Dalton has been very active in the Philadelphia community. Has given back has talked about his transgressions. I think that is where you say, yeah, let's honor you because you have shown that you are a complete person who is capable of being a good steward. What has Rose done in the Philadelphia community? Come on, let's be honest. What has he done? What has he done to say these kinds of relationships with young girls, no matter what age they are, are questionable at best illegal and atrocious and disgusting and just flat-out wrong at worst. He hasn't done anything. The Phillies made the right call. Now the Wall of Fame ceremony will take a different breath. It'll be more about, obviously, Dalton with the news fresh, and it should be. The Phillies should look at this Wall of Fame as an opportunity to really bring out some great memories from 93 from whenever they want to pull out from other guys to remember i mean jim bunning died in the last year they can talk a little bit about jim bunning again transgressions again questionable again guys who have made decisions in their lives that people are not happy with bunning's record in congress something that a lot of people aren't happy with you weigh those things right so nothing is clean here But the Phillies have an opportunity here. Again, Dallas Green. Ruben Amaro, Sr. They've had a lot of tragedy in the last year. And I think there's an opportunity for the Phillies to really put a good face on what has been a tough year. To get people to remember and celebrate and have a, a, a nice time thinking about the good memories. So... Good call on the Pete Rose snuff. Good call. Hopefully, Alumni Weekend, it'll be a heavy-handed Alumni Weekend, but hopefully it, it, it is a time to remember, a time to be happy, a time to celebrate, and a time to kind of look back and cherish the fact that we had some great ballplayers playing in Philadelphia over our lifetimes. And people who, yes, have given back and have done great things for this community. Because that ultimately is what matters, is Philadelphia, the Delaware Valley, the people who live there, and the fans who've been here for decades and care and want to be part of this history as well. Before I get to your reader questions this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the first base syndrome that the Phillies have. Of course, Tommy Joseph still there at first base. He hasn't left. And currently, Reese Hoskins is still tearing up the International League in Lehigh Valley. Corey Sharp is here, and he's going to talk a little bit about that situation. He has a piece up to date, com, about the situation. Corey, uh, first off, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, what you wrote is that you feel that it's time for Reese Hoskins to at least come up to get his feet wet in the majors. And, and do you think it's right now he should
1: come up? Yeah, I, I right now, because... Um, with, with Tommy Joseph, I feel like what you see is what you get with him. You know, to me, he doesn't really flash any brilliance. Um, when, I, when I say that, like you look at a guy like Franco, who um, in 2015, you know, two years ago, you know, he flashed, you know, he flashes all-star potential. And I don't see that with Joseph. I think he is what he is. You you know what you're getting from him. And and that's it. Um, so I, I, w- I would just bring up Hopkins. I mean, if you have to – uh, platoon them a little bit just to get Hoskins' feet wet. That's fine, but I would bring him up now because I don't see a future really for Joseph. He is what he is. Yeah, and there have
0: been a little. There's been a little bit of talk over the past couple of weeks about Joseph being. You know, he's kind of a productive player, um, and I don't want to call out names, but, uh, well, there was a writer, uh, Ryan Lawrence with the Philly Voice, who I, I love his work, and he's a very good guy, and you respect him a lot. But he, he pointed out on Twitter that Tommy Joseph in the last calendar year, last 162 games basically since last year at this time, was actually putting up pretty decent numbers on the counting stats, 23 home runs, 74 runs batted in. I'm just looking at the last 162 day, days 162 games here uh, at this point. And the idea that he was kind of putting out there was that's not bad. You know, that's a pretty productive player at first base. I mean, not that he should be the guy or not should be the guy, but that's productive. But then if you look deeper at sort of the longer view of first baseman over the last calendar year, Joseph's 23 home runs ranks 18th among all first basemen in that time period. Joey Votto is 39. Most guys have over 25 home runs. So when you're looking at first base production, you want a guy who's got a lot of power, who's got the ability to change a game. And I think you're right. I don't think Tommy Joseph's the kind of guy that, you know, when the ninth inning comes and you need a big hit, like a home run or a double, you can immediately count on Joseph to be that
1: guy. Right. And it's funny, uh, you know, in the piece that's out today, like he does nothing, nothing spectacular, like, He hits 244 with runners in scoring position. He hits 232 with two outs with runners in scoring position. Um, He doesn't hit lefties any better than righties. He hits, I believe, it's only a seven-point differential. I think it's righties he hits a little bit better. Um, His home and away splits aren't aren't that that much better. He hits 270 at home, 244 on the road. Um, And and we all know he's not he's not a top-notch first baseman to say the least. I mean, you saw that error. On I think it was Saturday night, you yeah, know, yeah. just an, an egregious error that just goes under his glove. So he does nothing spectacular, and and um, and when I say he is what he is, like you know what you're getting out of him. He's somewhat similar to, to Freddie Galvis, and, and you know I'm a Galvis guy. But at least Galvis, if you look at his numbers at runners in scoring position and runners in scoring position with two outs, I believe he's 295 and 293 respectively in that area. So at least you could say that Galvis comes through. In, in the clutch spots, and Joseph is, eh, he's okay in those spots. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I, I think, you know, what we've seen this year especially with Joseph and to a lesser extent Galvis, Hernandez, and I would say Cameron Ruppett catcher, is we have guys at positions where the guys who they stepped in for were franchise great players, right? So you have Galvis at shortstop where Jimmy Rollins was, Cesar Hernandez at second base where Chase Utley was, Cameron Rupp at catcher where uh, Carlos Ruiz was. None of those guys will ever live up to the predecessors that they, that they came in for. But they're all doing things in their own way to either be productive major league players or sort of on the periphery. Tommy Joseph came in when Ryan Howard was at his complete worst. And I think when he came in last year, we all thought, oh, wow, this guy can hit better than Ryan Howard, and that's why he's, you know, someone that we want to see further. But in the grand scheme, as you've said here, Joseph doesn't look like a game-changing player. He doesn't look like an elite player. Meanwhile, the 23 home runs that Joseph's hit in the last calendar year, guess who's had 27 home runs in this season only? Reese Hoskins. So that leads me to this question, Corey. Reese Hoskins, do you think that he does have the ability, I mean, just looking at him from sort of a distance to be a better player than Tommy Joseph out of the shoot, like right away?
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't know about right away, but I do I feel like his he has more of an upside than uh than Tommy Joseph. And and just like I said, yeah, you know, Tommy Jo he is what he is, so it's like I, I would just kind of cut your losses almost right now and just see what you have with With uh, Reese Hawkins, yeah, like you said, Joseph isn't a game changer, and and you just have to go with I think who's not not who's better, but just who's just kind of have to go with the new guy now already. I think it's it's time.
0: Well, the problem with of course Tommy Joseph moving him to another team is there might not be a market. And we just saw, actually, on Sunday morning that the Athletics were able to move Yonder Alonzo. They put him on waivers, and the Mariners decided to claim him. They A trade was worked out between the two teams, and not a very big trade. The Mariners got uh, Alonzo, and the Athletics didn't get much back for him. So, I don't know, Corey, do you think that there is a team out there if the Phillies— they may have already put Joseph on waivers, but we'll probably know when it happens— do you think there's a team out there that would take Joseph, take a flyer on him for the rest of the season? I mean, he is under team control for a lot longer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would probably it would probably be for like one of those players players to be named later. Um, I think if the Phillies can work out a deal and, and if the team would allow that, if they would. If that's all they had to give up, I, I think they would. Uh, anything more than that, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I mean we're past the point here where Tommy Joseph could net you a prospect or two. I think um, we saw with the Yankees, you know, picking up um, the, the I forget the third baseman, first baseman who was on the Reds previously. Now I forget his name, um, Todd Frazier. Th- you uh, know that didn't get they didn't have to give up a lot for him, right? And with the Mariners not getting a lot for or excuse me, Mariners not giving up a lot for Yonder Alonso, clearly Tommy Joseph will not net them a lot. So I think the Phillies at this point are at a point where, you know what? Pull the bandaid off, get rid of him, and bring in Hoskins and see what Hoskins can do over the next year and a half. If that doesn't work, now you go into free agency or a trade market and you find that Paul Goldschmidt, Joey Votto type player who can change the game for you. But I think you're right, Corey. This is the time. You know, you got to let Reese Hoskins see what he can do at a major league level because he could be the answer for them going forward.
1: Right. And, and, you know, in the piece, uh, I mentioned Aaron Judge, and I'm not saying Reese Hoskins is, is Aaron Judge, but. I read something uh, earlier this year that the Aaron Judge said the best thing that happened to him was that he was called up last year, and I believe he played 37 games, and um, and he struck out in half of his at bats, half of his plate appearances, um, and obviously you, you see what he's doing this year. And again, Hoskins is, is no—I'm not saying he's Aaron Judge, but I'm just saying you can you can speed up, you know, kind of the process with. Uh, with Hoskins, so so he gets his feet wet this year, and then next year he, he's rearing to go. He's ready.
0: Well, the numbers on Hoskins this year, he is far and away the best first baseman in the international league. He has a 959 OPS, which is over 100 points more than the second place guy, Richie Schaefer. Um, also a 13.6% walk rate, a 15.8% strikeout rate. So really good numbers there. It looks as if it's time for Reese Hoskins. Hopefully, it will be time soon. We'll talk a little bit more about him in a moment with your reader questions. But for now, as Corey has said, it might be time. Reese, we are waiting for you here in Philadelphia with bated breath. Corey, we'll uh, talk to you a little bit later on.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Well, since it's the 20th episode of the Phillies Nation podcast, we are on the 10s, which means it's mailbag time. Every 10 episodes, we do a mailbag where I ask you, the listener or reader of philliesnation.com, what do you want to ask me? Ask me your question about the Phillies, whether it's this year, next year, or the future, way down the line. We will do our best to answer those questions in as much analysis or as little analysis as possible. It's an interesting time for a mailbag because the Phillies are about two-thirds of the way done the season. We know now that they are pretty bad this year. I think we kind of figured that one out earlier. But there's a lot of changes that are afoot, potentially, with some players coming in from the minor leagues, uh, moving up from Lehigh Valley, even Reading potentially, in the future. And a lot of players have just left Philadelphia. Pat Neshek was traded, Jeremy Hellickson, Joaquin Benoit, Howie Kendrick. So a lot of changes, a lot of transition, and so a good time to kind of get a sense of, for what 2018 might look like as well as getting a beat on the end of the 2017 season so asked for questions we got a bunch why don't we get into it we'll start on twitter The first question comes from b huffnall 13 bobby huffnall on twitter with galvis playing gold glove baseball Do Crawford and Franco become a trade combo for a Machado deal in the winter? Now he's talking about Freddie Galvis, who's obviously having a great defensive season because he's playing great defense and providing a better offensive output than he has in the past, hitting 255 with a 306 OBP, 412 slugging percentage. Does that mean that potentially Michael Franco and JP Crawford could be maybe added together in a trade for someone like a Manny Machado? Well, Don't bet on a Manny Machado trade this winter. In fact, I wouldn't bet on any trades for a big slugger. If it happens, the Phillies might be in on a Christian Yelich, maybe someone like that. It's very hard to score an elite-level player, at least offensively, in any kind of trade. The Phillies do have the parts to do it. But I think the Phillies are still at a place where they would like to get one or two more guys in stone here for the future. Odubel Herrera looks like a future piece. They've already said as much. They gave him the big contract extension. Beyond that, they still don't have a sense for who will be here in the future and who's not. Aaron Nola has surfaced, obviously. I think we've decided that Aaron Nola has pitched well enough to be part of this future team. They were hoping Aaron tear, but his DL stints this year have been a little bit of a hit. Otherwise, what? Nick Williams has played very well, but he's only been out there for about 120 played appearances. So I think looking at getting a big-time slugger like a Manny Machado would be a little bit of a tougher get for the Phillies at this point. I think at this point, you'd want to see them get maybe a good pitcher, potentially a second- or third-rate offensive player like a Christian Yelich, maybe not a stud elite-level player, but someone just below that threshold. And as far as packaging Galvis, excuse me, packaging Franco and Crawford, Franco doesn't have very high value right now. I don't know how many teams would be interested in Michael Franco. He is having obviously a pretty bad season, hitting 227 with a 283 OBP and a, just a 399 slugging percentage. That was before Sunday's game. He did homer in Sunday's game, but he's having a tough year. And the Phillies, I think, would be better off holding on to him and hoping that he gets back some of that value and rebounds next year. Because he's lucky the Phillies don't have anybody right now to play third base in the minors. Franco could have one more year to figure out what he is. He's only 24 years old, so certainly he still has more time. So I wouldn't see the Phillies trading him. Could they trade J.P. Crawford? Yes. Would they package him in a deal for a good player yes would they get a Manny Machado I don't know plus Machado is a free agent after 2018 the Phillies would want to bring in somebody who they can have for many years they could extend someone like Machado but it's possible Machado would say I want to go after the free agent market in 2018-19 because I want to get some really big bucks so I don't know if the Phillies would be in it to get a big time slugger but certainly a package deal for a decent player is in the cards for the offseason. I could see that happening. Scoop Barry on Twitter. Barry Ford asks, Would Garcia benefit from a change of scenery? Now Garcia is Luis Garcia. I assume he's talking about Luis Garcia because there's no other Garcias playing at a high level in the Phillies right now. Well, Luis Garcia has actually been maybe the best reliever on the staff this year, aside Pat Neshek, who they traded. 263 ERA in 48 innings of work, 35 strikeouts, and 18 walks. Garcia was someone that the Phillies have always liked. Coaching staff have said that he's got the stuff to be a back end reliever. A very good fastball in the high 90s, good breaking stuff. He could be a guy who could set up a closer in the future. I don't know if a change of scenery is in the cards for, for Luis Garcia. I think, if anything, the Phillies look at Luis Garcia and say, Ooh, This guy might be part of our bullpen next year because he's the one thing that we have. That said, he's 30 years old. He's not a young guy. So if I'm the Phillies, I might be entertaining using him as trade value because relievers have high trade value. Garcia looks like the kind of guy who might be able to go two innings at a time, be an ace of sorts, which is the new vogue in relief pitching uh, trade uh, trade market trade journals, I guess. So the Phillies might be interested in dangling Luis Garcia in the offseason. I think there's no hurt in that. But a change of scenery, I don't think he needs one. The Phillies can get value off him, but he doesn't need a change of scenery. He's been good. He's been one of the only good things about the Phillies' bullpen this year. So I would keep him if there's no other, if you don't get good value for him, if there's no value out there for him, keep him. Let him be in the bullpen next year. Next question from Jimmy Mac 300 on Twitter, McGorvin. He asks... Who do you see being the Phillies first baseman of the future, Joseph or Hoskins? And myself and Corey uh, Sharp talked about this just a moment ago in the last segment. We talked about what the future first base might be, at least in the short term. Is it time for Reese Hoskins to be in the majors? And Corey says, yes, I, I agree. I think Reese Hoskins should be in the majors. The problem is I don't want him in a platoon situation with Tommy Joseph. If you couldn't deal Joseph at the deadline, don't worry about it now. They can bring Hoskins up after the Lehigh Valley season ends, which will most likely be sometime in the second or third week of September. Once that happens, get Hoskins up here. You can end Joseph's season early. You can give him limited time, but get Hoskins starting jobs at first base until the season runs out. See what you at least have for Hoskins for maybe 30 to 50 plate appearances. Get his feet wet in the majors. I don't think it's a wise move to have the two of them platooning, but get Hoskins up here once it's once it's time and once there's no other games to be played in Lehigh Valley and see what he can do. As for the future, I think it's Hoskins. I think the Phillies have made it abundantly clear that Tommy Joseph is not the first baseman of the future, nor I think he should be. And this is nothing against Joseph, who all appearances seems like a good guy and a decent baseball player. I mean, look, he's a major league player. He's decent to begin with. But in the grand scheme... Uh, uh, in comparison to his peers at first base, he's, he's decent. But he's not game-changing. He's not elite. Maybe he becomes that, but as we've seen in the last year and a half, he's not quite that player. And if I'm the Phillies, I see Hoskins, who's tearing up the International League, 280 average, 380 OBP, sling percentage in the 500s, very solid numbers all around, consistently good over the past year and a half now. I see that, and I say that's a major league player. That's a guy who can we could we stick maybe in the 3-hole, maybe in the 6-hole, maybe in the 5-hole. But he will be a part of this team going forward. And if he doesn't work, you give him a year and a half, two years. If he doesn't work, you get your Paul Goldschmidt. You get your big-time first baseman who's going to slug 40 home runs no matter what. But until then, you got to see what you have. you got to rotate. So I think Hoskins is the guy in the future I just don't know if it's going to happen yet. I think maybe in a month from now, we'll see him. Maybe a little bit more than a month from now. And then next year, it should be his show. I don't see why it shouldn't. Next question coming in from Joseph P. Owens at JPO South Jersey on Twitter. Is Pete McCannon back next year? He asks. What about his staff? Seems difficult to blame this mess on them. And I tend to agree. I mean, I was a little harder on them earlier in the season. I thought Pete McCannon made some very questionable moves with getting guys playing time. Um, I was not, and I still am not a big fan of Bob McClure, the pitching coach. He's been here for a while, and for all accounts, seems like a good guy and a a good coach. But his pitchers have not succeeded at the way that we'd like to see them. Um, Part of it might be the pitching is bad. You know, part of it just might be the Phillies did not get a great return, as we thought, for Cole Hamels. You know, Jake Thompson hasn't really emerged yet. Jared Eikhoff has been good a lot, but he's also struggled a lot in the last year and a half, year. You know, you go down the line, Zach Eflin, not quite what we were hoping. Obviously, Vince Velasquez has been on, off, on, off, and off, off, off lately. Then you see Mark Capel hasn't really made it happen. Nick Pavetta hasn't really made it happen. Tom Eshelman isn't here yet, but you hope that when he comes up, he makes it happen, but you can't say whether he will or won't. I think it would behoove the Phillies to have a change in some form or fashion. And pitching coach is probably the place. Matt Stairs is too new as a hitting coach. You need to make a change somewhere. Maybe it's there. I would also think about bench coach. I think Larry Boa, as much as he brings fire, I think there's been a lot of Larry Bowen around this organization for a number of years. And at this point, you know, it might behoove the Phillies to have some new blood in this coaching staff. Maybe some younger blood. Maybe 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 guys who might be able to relate more to the players in a way that Matt Stairs might because Matt Stairs is younger. Not to be an ageist or anything, but sometimes it helps. But Pete McCannon, I think, overall has done... Probably a some zero job. I don't think he's done anything exceptionally well. I think he's kept the clubhouse in a pretty decent standing. There's been a few kerfuffles, mostly with the bullpen. But for the most part, McCannon has done a nice job keeping the clubhouse steady. Some of his in-game moves have been questionable, but nothing totally egregious and trendworthy. I think McCannon deserves, and obviously he has the extension, he deserves to see through his extension. But there will be a time when the Phillies might have to address the manager position if they don't perform at a level that we expect them to. But right now you can't expect them to perform at that level because the playing has not matched what we expect. We haven't seen enough out of the pitchers. We haven't seen enough out of guys like Franco, even Galvis, who plays great defense, but his offense still is not quite at the level that I would like it to be at. We haven't seen enough out of guys like Aaron Altair, who's been injured a lot. Out of O'Double even, who has been streaky at times this year. I think we need to see more consistency from some more places before we can make any more judgments on McCannon and his staff. But I think a change should be made after this year to send a little message that, yeah, we're not quite 100% happy with these guys. Adam Melson on Twitter at Adam Nelson asks, Who is the veteran to acquire this offseason to be like Utley is for the Dodgers? Do the Phillies even need veteran grounding? And it's a good question because there's been a lot of talk about how important veterans are to teams. You know, we have a team across the street in the Sixers who purposely didn't really get veterans over the last couple of years. But the NBA is very different from Major League Baseball roster spots are a lot more cherished in the majors you can get away with maybe two or three positions in that 25 man roster being held to guys who aren't very good but are veterans and veteran guys do veteran things and it's good to see you know the Phillies being able to have guys who can help be consistent with this team help coach the team a little bit um, bring their experience That kind of stuff. The Phillies have had good success with, like, Daniel Nava this year. Howie Kendrick, when he's been healthy, has been very good for the Phillies. Even Jeremy Hellickson, who had a tough year this year, for the most part, was a good veteran pickup for the Phillies. As far as next year, yeah, they're going to make them. I mean, they certainly will have veterans on the squad next year. How many, I'm not sure. The one place that I would love to see a veteran, for sure, is at catcher. They need a backup. If Jorge Alfaro is going to be the guy, they need a a smart, experienced, pitching-minded catcher, defensive-minded catcher who is back there and helping out. One guy that I really like because he's known for his his good pitch calling and leadership is Kurt Suzuki. He's with Atlanta right now. Did have a tough series against the Phillies. More pass balls than you'd like. I honestly don't want to see more pass balls. So maybe he's not the best choice, but someone like that. know there are guys like Nick Hundley that are out there uh AJ Ellis who I thought would have been a great move for the Phillies to keep him this year he was great for the Phillies last year at the end of the year as a veteran backup he would have been a great addition for the Phillies that's a place where you need to have a veteran I think if you're gonna have a young catcher in Alfaro have an older established veteran back there to help and be a coach and also be a producer in some ways otherwise I think maybe in the infield you know you're going to have potentially Crawford and Kingery at second and short, so why not get someone, you know, like a like a like a Danny Espinosa or Steven Drew or um, or, or maybe a, a Neil Walker who's been with the Mets, or Chase Utley because <laughs> he'll be a free agent and Utley's actually had a relatively decent season as a backup infielder this year. I don't know if the Phillies would do that because they've kind of steered away from guys who have been Phillies and maybe they don't want to have people think about 2008 again. They want people to think about the future. But maybe this is a good time to bring in someone that, A, knows the city, knows what the fans are like, knows how it works here, and, B, would love to mentor some young guys. Maybe Utley gets a world championship with the Dodgers this year and then decides, I want to finish my career being a mentor. Come back to Philly where he has a house and be part of this. I don't think the Phillies will go with it, but maybe that's the spot where they can do it. And maybe pitching. They might get a veteran in the pitching staff. Definitely in the bullpen. And I have no idea who they would get, but I think they'll probably get at least one veteran for the pitching staff in the bullpen. Rotation? They might go out and get someone like a, like a Jake Arrieta. They could even get U Darvish in free agency. They might make a splash in free agency. In the pitching. And... That's where a veteran comes in. Someone who can lead the staff, him and Nola, whoever that person is, can be the one and two. That could actually really help the Phillies next year. Maybe they don't go after a guy with a $20 million contract, but somewhere around that second tier, that might be a good position for the Phillies to upgrade with a veteran, getting a pitcher. Our next question comes from Ricardo at Rave323. Here's a weird question. Who is Nick Pavetta? What can be done to make him more consistent? Who is Nick Pavetta? (laughs) I don't know if this guy watches the Phillies. Nick Pavetta has made 16 starts this year. Who is he? He's been one of the more more featured starters in the roster this year. But maybe the question is more... um, Maybe it's more relative. Maybe it's more obscure. I don't know who is Nick Pavetta in the grand scheme of life. Pavetta's had a tough year. Five eight nine ERA. Eighty four strikeouts, thirty five walks. Not good. And his last start was not not good against the Rockies. He gave up eight runs in that one. He's had a good start. He's had a bad start. He's had a good start. He's had a bad start. And this after a really good start to the season in lehigh valley this after a very promising spring training where he worked a lot with roy halliday i still have faith in nick pavetta he doesn't have ace stuff and i don't think anybody should expect him to be an ace but he does have composure on the mound he has a good secondary offering good change up he's got enough stuff to where he can be a decent number four starter and look that might not be what is number one focus for the Phillies right now. They need to they need a number one starter, for one. They need someone to put in front of Nola and say, I'm the guy who's going to work with you. And they probably need a number three. And I think they would love Vince Velasquez to be that guy, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But Nick Pavetta, I think he could be number four. I think he still has that opportunity. What he needs to do, maybe get more time in Lehigh Valley. Maybe just continue working on the secondary pitches. Maybe just continue working on his command, which was very good going into the season and starting the season in Lehigh Valley and then kind of fell off when he came to Philadelphia. Maybe they're jitters. Maybe he just isn't ready yet for the show. But the best thing to do is work through it. If they want to send Pavetta to Lehigh Valley because they want to bring up Tom Eshelman, then that's one thing. But if there's no reason to bring up anybody, keep Pavetta up in the big club. Let him work through his problems. Let him get more experience on the mound. Yes, they may be small crowds. Yes, it might be low stakes. But let him work on whatever he needs to work on to be a better pitcher in 2018. Because I think that the promise for Pavetta is still there. I think he could definitely be a good number four starter. Maybe even a three in his prime. It's still there let him work through his problems. Don't put him out the pasture yet. I know it's easy to look at all these pictures and say, this guy stinks, this guy stinks, this guy stinks. But it you need time. Some guys, they don't actually show their real promise until their third, fourth season in the league. Which is, again, something you talk about with Michael Franco. Came in the league in 2015, burned it up. Ever since then up and down then down then down then down then down next year he could figure it all out and hit 280 with 35 home runs and a 508 slugging percentage or something like that he could be amazing but you got to give him time time is almost running out for him but you got to give these guys time and pavetta his time isn't close to up yet they it, there is still time for nick pavetta Next question from UK Phillies at UK Phillies, Phillies UK asks, do you think we will see Kingery or Crawford in a Phillies uniform before the season finishes? Yes. I do think you will see at least one of them most likely Crawford. I think the Phillies would love to bring him into the fold in September. The one thing that might hold them back is he's not on the 40 man, nor is Scott Kingery. Both of those guys will be put on the 40 men uh, after this season because they need to protect them. But Crawford, I think more than anybody, will get a call up because he he's probably ready. The hitting took a long time to come around. It's finally coming around. He's hit, I think, what, 10 home runs in, in the last month and a half? He's been a lot better. And pair that with pretty good defense. Pair that with a good running game, good smarts, patience at the plate. He's always had that. And the leadership that he exhibits. I think the Phillies would be in a good position to have him come up, work with Freddie Galvis, work with Andres Blanco, work with some of the guys who are here now who might not be here next year, and just get a little bit of that experience with the veterans so that next year, when the time comes, Crawford can slide in and be part of this team as an opening day shortstop. Kingery, I think it's slightly less likely that he comes in before the season's over. I think it's still very possible, but the Phillies might actually say, we're going to shut you down. He's played a lot. He's moved once this year from Reading to Lehigh Valley. This actually was, I believe, his first full season. In in, in the low minors or in the minors. Maybe it's the second full season. But Kingery is pretty green at this. As good as he's been, he's been fantastic. He's very young for the minors. Yes, he's 22, 23 years old, but he's young for the minors. So they might shut him down and then in spring training say, it's your job to win at second base. But I definitely think one of those guys will be part of the team in September. Whether it's Crawford or Kingery, I would say more likely Crawford. But it could be. It could be Kingery. And look, if it is, that's great. I would love to see both guys play extremely well. I'd like to see, you know, an infield one day where it's Hoskins at first, Kingery at second, Crawford at short, and Franco at third, and just see what happens. Alfaro behind the plate, Williams in the outfield. (laughs) Just do it. But that might not happen this year. And if it doesn't, Don't be mad, don't be sad, just let the season play out as it will, and then in the offseason we'll see some things happen. Final question, uh, this is from Facebook, Greg Brown asks, do you see Cameron Perkins making his way to a more permanent position anytime soon? And that's an interesting question because Cam Perkins kind of got lost in the shuffle, had a very good season in AAA this year, won his way to the Major League roster, and ever since then, he's kind of been the fifth outfielder, fifth outfielder by design. And that's kind of the kind of player he is. I don't think he'll ever be a starter. Um, is there time? Yes, there is definitely time for him to become a starter. But 26 years old, he's the same age as Aaron Altair. He's two years older than Mikel Franco. So Perkins at this point is kind of what he's probably going to be. And right now on the Major League level, he is, at best, a fifth outfielder. More likely a fringe player who goes to AAA a lot more often. 207, 277 OBP, 276 slug, very pedestrian numbers, exhibiting a guy who doesn't really hit too many extra base hits and hasn't had a lot of patience at the plate, 16 strikeouts, 4 walks. It's a small sample size for sure, but let's be real, I don't think Cam Perkins finds his way into a starting conversation anytime soon. I think, at best, he becomes a decent fourth or fifth outfield option for the Phillies or another team, but I would not hold my breath that he gets a third outfielder spot on this roster this year. And in fact, even with the most recent Aaron Altair injury, you won't see Perkins starting. Hyun Suk Kim, who the Phillies picked up in that trade for Jeremy Hellickson, will get more starts in the outfield alongside Nick Williams and Oduble Herrera. And Daniel Nava will get starts, at least until a potential waiver trade happens. Because I think the Phillies would love to trade him before the deadline. Get a little bit of value for Nava, who will not be here next year. As well as he's played, by the way, Nava's played very well with the Phillies this year. This is not the time to put Cameron Perkins in the outfield. Sad as it is, he probably won't get that shot. And I would not expect to see him starting as a Philly this year or in the future. All right, so back here talking with Corey Sharp, who was on earlier today. I wanted to talk a little bit about Sixto Sanchez, who I think caught us by surprise this week when the Phillies decided to promote him from Lakewood to Clearwater. Uh, Corey, were you surprised that Sixto was called up to Clearwater?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised the Phillies move anybody around nowadays. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, um, I, I was a little surprised. Yeah, I thought they'd let him finish the year out. But, um, obviously, they feel like he's ready. And, and he kind of struggled his first start. I think he gave up five or six runs in five innings. Yeah, I'm not... he
0: gave up he gave up ten hits, uh, five runs, and six innings in his first start against Palm Beach, I believe it was on uh, the fifth, which was Saturday. Um, didn't pitch too well, but keep in mind of the ten hits, only one was an extra base hit, a double. Um, I think the book was – they didn't hit him too hard. It's just that they hit him. So, you know, first start in in, in advanced day ball against guys who are, by the way, 21, 22 years old. 6-0, still 19. There's a bit of a difference there. What do you think? I mean, do you think that, you know how, – how, are you worried if he has, like, a bunch of bad starts in advanced day that we're going to – that maybe we should dial it back on him, or are you not worried about that?
1: I'm not worried. He's ni- He's 19. He's, he's still a kid. He throws 100. I mean, so <laughs> – I'm I'm not worried at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he throws 95 up you know, really 95 96 kind of on, on the regular with the fastball. The fastball can get up to about 100 203. Um I think worst case scenarios you have a really good back end reliever in the future, but the best case scenario is the second coming of Pedro Martinez, which is pretty amazing. Um would he, would he be in your mind the number 1 prospect in the Philly system?
1: Um I mean I I don't know how I think it's tough to have a guy that's that young and that low in the system that high you yeah. know what I mean you know like you said that Scott King, I I don't know how he can be higher than Scott Kingery you know I don't think he he is um even Reese Hoskins and even JP Crawford still um I so I wouldn't put him ahead of really almost anybody in AAA that that's actually producing um yeah, because those guys are are almost here in Philadelphia. He's still, you know, he's an advanced A ball. So yeah, you know, I would I wouldn't like you said wouldn't pump the brakes on him, but I'm not going to put him ahead of, of guys like Kingery and Crawford and Hoskins.
0: I mean, I'm with you in that. I am definitely more of a high minors guy when it comes to ranking prospects. I think you have to show that you can compete at a high level in the highest levels of the minor leagues in order to be a, a high ranked prospect. Um, And I think AA is a very crucial boundary, a crucial sort of uh, line that guys have to step over. And if they can produce in AA, then they definitely have more of a potential to produce at the majors. But yeah, I I, I think sort of one and the other, I'm I'm kind of in one place with you and the other place I'm not. I think Sixto has a unique ability that nobody else in this farm system has. Uh, Maybe Kingery has flashes of it. Hoskins maybe has flashes of it with his patience. He might be like a second coming of Joey Votto or something. I don't know. But it looks as if Sanchez has this unique ability to perform at a high level almost effortlessly with some unbelievable pitching. And he's very young, which we haven't had in the system. I don't know. Have we ever had this in the system? This kind of, this kind of mix of exceptional stuff and unbelievable youth.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure Cole Hamels was yeah you know, when he was drafted how highly touted. I mean, I know he was highly touted. Yeah, he but was, think, yeah. But I don't think he had. I think what you mean with uh, Sixto that like he's like a special guy. Like he has special stuff. Like I don't know if Cole Hamels had special stuff. Yeah, he's a really good pitcher, but uh, I guess he may be the last guy that I can think of that um, had any like was similar to Sixto in his stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I think Hamels was definitely more of a polished pitcher coming out. There was also a lot of injury concerns, so that was kind of the big book on him. But they knew that if he was going to get over those injury concerns, he could be a productive Major League pitcher. With six Sixto, it was kind of this unbelievable international find. On top of that, he's got this unbelievable stuff that we haven't seen before, so you have these like... Reporters in the wild, you know, giving these dispatches out in New Jersey about Sixto throwing 100 miles an hour and guys never seeing it before. It's kind of wild to see this kind of thing happening, but uh, it's fun because we haven't had this before. Now, as far as the effects of the Sixto promotion, someone had to go up from Clearwater to Reading, and that was Franklin Colome, who, before Sixto came onto our radar, was the top pitching prospect in the system. Uh so far this year for Clearwater, eighty three strikeouts, thirty seven walks in ninety seven innings with a two five nine ERA. Great numbers, Corey. Do you actually feel like Franklin Colome should be talked about more? Um uh, maybe not more than six though, but more than we have talked about him.
1: Yeah, I mean I would say so. I mean he's he's yeah, he's on I'm on uh the prospect watch on MLB.com, and he's ninth. Uh, among the Phillies, right behind Nick Williams, who who's up up here. So, yeah, I definitely think he he deserves to be talked about a little bit more and now that he's in Double A. It's funny when I talked to uh, Yaxel Rios, who's now in Triple A. I talked to him like back in May, and uh, it was interesting, like what he told me. He said, "Whenever you reach Double A, he's like you can all you can taste the majors, like it, you're almost there." So now that he's in in Double A, I, I do yeah, I think we should start talking about him, and he's you know, probably two years away already. But I, I think it was interesting what Yaxel Rio said in the mind of a player. You know, when you, it's cool, it's fun, cool to think, you know, when you double a is, is you're real, you're getting there. You can taste it almost.
0: Yeah. And that's what I mean about crossing that threshold into double a and how the competition becomes a lot tougher because the guys who usually play against in double a are the best prospects. Right. And, Some of the guys might actually be former major league players. Um, And you also have some more sophisticated coaching. You have bigger ballparks. You're now back in the area in which your team is playing because most of the high A teams are either in Florida or Arizona or parts of the south, whereas your double A teams might be really close to the major league team as writing is close to Philadelphia. So there is definitely a lot more talk and a lot more interest. So, yeah, I think this is the time. You know, Colome, we'll see what he does at the end of this season. And then going into next year, who knows, maybe a half season in writing, and then the Phillies decide that maybe it's time for him. But it's an interesting time for all these pitchers, for sure. Sanchez, especially, as we like to see him in Clearwater. Any final thoughts about, do you think Sixto Sanchez will be in Philadelphia? Like, give me a date. When do you think Sixto might be in Philadelphia?
1: Um... Uh, I would say three years still, so 2020.
0: 2020, so like opening day
1: 2020. Um, I don't know about opening day. you said not <laughs> 8, 19, till so two more. Now I wouldn't say opening day. Okay. I would yeah. I would say around you know July August ish. All right, you're,
0: you're pretty bearish on them.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I I I would like to I would like I'm gonna actually say mid season of 2019. Um, I think if I think he might struggle here to start Clearwater but I think next year he comes out really strong there. He gets promoted to Reading sometime toward the end of the season in 2018 and then in 19 he starts out in Reading and he pitches so well that the Phillies decide to jump him up. That's my that's my prediction. I'm just going with it. So I uh, like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if it if it results in a good pitcher pitching for the Phillies all the better. Yep. <laughs> um Corey, uh thanks for coming on Corey Sharp. We'll talk to you soon. All
1: right, thanks then
0: my thanks to Corey sharp for coming on the podcast today thanks to all you guys for sending in your questions for our mailbag it was great answering them i really appreciate you guys sending them in by the way if you have not please rate us on apple podcasts If you go to Apple Podcasts, look up Phillies Nation Podcast, you will see our podcast. Yes, it may be misleading. The image that you see, it is an image of our past podcast, but it is the Phillies Nation Podcast. So click on it. You'll see the podcast there, all the recent episodes, and all the recent episodes of our sister podcast, Playing the Rube, where me and Dan Walsh take on Ruben Amaro in the 2009 Phillies. Go to the Phillies Nation Podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Please do that. Give us a five-star rating if you can. Say something nice about us. We'd love to see the reviews, and it helps us get out there to more fans. You will hear more of me out there. You'll hear more of my interviews out there. Maybe that'll be good for us. I don't know. I think if you like me, you can do it. I'd love to see the good reviews, and maybe we'll get more listeners that way. Again, the podcast can be heard on Apple Podcasts. Also, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and YouTube.com slash Nation. PhilliesNation.com is where you go for your news, rumors, and information. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Check us out on Twitter at Phillies Nation and Instagram at Phillies Nation underscore. By the way, thanks to bensound.com for the music for the podcast. We'll be here next time on the Phillies Nation podcast. Again, tough day for the Phils. Tough week for the Phils. Another loss. Another really tough loss with Darren Dalton. If you got your memories of Darren Dalton, if you want to share them with us, please do so at philliesnation.com or on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever you want. And we're going to try to get some of those up. We're going to try to get some of your stories out there. Um, You know, doing this for Dutch. Doing it for Dutch, as always. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Tim Malcolm. We'll see you next time.